Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week so far. I'm going to answer some of the questions that you guys sent me on Instagram. You sent me so many wonderful ones. And there were a lot of questions I got that I've addressed on the podcast before, which is totally fine. I don't have any problem with that. A lot of you who are following me on Instagram or who are listening to the podcast, you are new and you have no idea that I've talked about some of the subjects that I have. I am working on categorizing. It takes a long time, but I've got someone helping me now working on categorizing all of my podcast episodes on my website, AllieBethStuckey.com. And then once I finish that, it's going to be a lot easier for you guys to navigate. I'll be able to point you guys exactly to um, the link and you're just going to be able to go there and to find the podcast that you're looking for. However, in the meantime, time, all you have to do is scroll through and typically the titles are pretty self-explanatory or you can just search in the podcast app. I I get a lot of questions, for example, have you ever talked about predestination? You could try typing in relatable predestination. There is an episode titled predestination. Um, Some people ask me about women pastoring churches. There's an episode titled uh, Women in the Church. You can type in relatable women in the church. You can even Google that with the name Allie Stuckey and something is going to come up. The episode uh, will come up. You can also just scroll through. Some people ask me about my testimony, um, how I got to to do what I'm doing. Well, I definitely, first of all, recommend you reading my book, You're Not Enough, and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. I tell you a lot about how I landed where I am now, what my testimony is, how uh, the Lord saved me. And so you can read my book for those details, but I've also talked about it on this podcast way back when. So just scroll back. A lot of people just kind of binge listen to my podcast once they find it. And a lot of the podcast episodes are evergreen. Like last summer when I was on maternity leave, I pre-recorded a bunch of evergreen topics or evergreen episodes. And I think it was like Monday I did a theological topic and Wednesday I did a political topic and on Friday I did an interview. And so I kind of go back to the basics. I talk about, you know, why I'm a reformed Christian and why I believe the things that I do. And I also talked a little bit about, you know, eschatology. And then on Wednesdays, I talked about how liberals and conservatives view the Constitution and how we view things like socialism and all of that. So you can go all the way back to last summer, even before that. You can just binge listen to the episodes. You can put it on one and a half times or two times. Some of you say I already talked too fast and so you can't listen on two times. I feel like I, I feel like I I don't. Whenever I listen to my podcast, not on two times, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so slow. But I understand. Some of you think that I talk quickly. And so, but you can go back and you can uh, listen. You can listen to those and just kind of binge listen if you're wondering if I've ever talked about something. But I will categorize those ep- episodes for you so you will be able to find them quickly. Okay. I'm going to try to get through as many questions as possible. I know I usually take so long to answer just a single question, and then I only get through like three of the questions that you guys send. And so I'm going to try to be quick this time. Okay, here's a question. Biblical way to deal with receiving hateful reactions to your faith politics beliefs. So there's certainly a difference between persecution and pushback. And we need to make sure that we are distinguishing between the two. Um, It's very easy for any type of person, but I would say Christians as well, to have um, a a victim complex where we think anytime someone is arguing against us or pushing back against us, um, that we are being persecuted. 
it may be a form of persecution or it may not be. It could just be people offering a different perspective. It could be people, you know, arguing you or debating you. And that is perfectly fine. That's not necessarily them trying to, you know, castigate you or make you feel bad about yourself or persecute you. And so I do think it's important to distinguish between those two. When Jesus talks about persecution, he says, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted, but he is specifically talking about uh you know, persecuted for following him, persecuted for being a Christian, persecuted uh, for being a disciple of Christ. And so if someone argues with you about your politics, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're being persecuted. Now, they could take that to great lengths to where, you know, if you're owning a business, they could try to trash your Yelp page. They could try to ruin your life. They could try to dox you. I would certainly say, um, if it's for your faith, that's certainly a form of persecution. And I think the way that we handle that, there are times when it's good to correct the record. If someone is slandering you, if someone is spreading a rumor about you, and um, it is important for you to actually publicly correct the record about this because it's causing a lot of confusion, then certainly you have the opportunity and perhaps the responsibility to do so. However, a lot of a lot of times when people are trying to mischaracterize you, lie about you, criticize you online, it's just not even worth responding to because what they're trying to do is get your attention and to make sure that you've read the things that they're saying about you and make you feel bad. And it's just not worth investing your time into. And so what you do is that when you get criticism, first you examine it to see if it's true. Is it true what they're saying? Are you um, are you saying something that is false? Or do you have the wrong perspective on something? If it's not true, then you just have to not worry about it. Your job is to glorify Christ by seeking and speaking truth in a way that is loving, in a way that is kind. There are going to be people who tone police you. No matter how you speak, no matter how gently you speak, no matter how many people tell you, wow, you're so gracious and you speak the truth in love, there are going to be people mostly because they disagree with you, who come along and say, oh, you know, your tone is off here, or I really wish that you would say this differently. I wish you would be a little bit softer or maybe a little bit more agnostic on this or be a little bit less assured and confident in this particular area. And you've just got to ignore that. You've got to ask God for wisdom, ask God to humble you. I constantly ask God to humble me and show me where I'm wrong. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to tell a lie. I don't want to misconstrue construe something. I don't want to manipulate my audience in any way. I don't want to let my bias say something that uh, isn't true. So I'm constantly asking God to show me where I'm wrong, to receive criticism well, but to be able to push to the side criticism that is just not based on reality and to focus on what he has called me to and who he says that I am. Um, And as long as you are doing that, as long as your eyes are on Christ, as long as your hope is in heaven, not in what people say about you, for better or for worse, then you can remain confident. The Bible says that his mind is in perfect peace, uh, whose mind is stayed on you, whose mind is stayed on Christ. And so keep your mind stayed on Christ. Ask him to help you discern between true criticism that needs to be taken and it needs to be heeded. Um, and criticism that is just unfounded. Help him or ask him to help you discern between persecution 
and pushback and how to react to those two things in a way that is glorifying to Christ. I certainly have not always responded in a way that is glorifying to Christ, but we ask him to sanctify us and to conform us to his image. Um, Okay, someone asked, Tim Keller having somewhat of a critical race theory view. So a lot of people are saying, okay, Tim Keller has gone woke because a couple years ago he wrote an article about how socialism isn't objectively bad. And he certainly has, I would say, a more liberal view on things like systemic racism and critical race theory. I would say even things like Marxism, although I think he would explicit, he would say that he doesn't agree uh, with Karl Marx. I think that he does skew to the left on a lot of issues, but that's not necessarily new. Like if you read or listen to some of the things that he said even 20 years ago, he has kind of always been in this camp. Maybe it's coming to the surface a little bit more with so many conversations about so-called racial and social justice, but he's always been this way. I mean, the guy is, uh, he lives in New York. He's lived in New York for a long time that is going to have an effect on how you think and how you see the world. Um, I will not stop recommending certain resources from Tim Keller. When I read Reason for God when I was a senior in high school, it really helped me and changed my perspective on how to approach Christianity intellectually, to how to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Uh, I would say that that book, Reason for God, and C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity— had a huge effect um, on on my faith and and really spurred me on and and served as a springboard to really studying the Bible and knowing God. And so I'm so thankful for that. And nothing that he says now can discount the help that was offered to me and has been offered to millions of people through the book Reason for God. Prodigal God is another great one by Tim Keller. Um, We just read The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness at the very beginning of uh, Women's Book Club with Ali Stuckey on Facebook. Every Good Endeavor is another good one. Uh, And there are a few more by Tim Keller. Meaning of Marriage, one of the best books on marriage engagement that I have ever read. And so, um, look, there are going to be people with whom we disagree socially, culturally, politically in heaven. And I think Tim Keller, a lot of his work is so solid and so helpful. I just really disagree with him on how he skews on politics. And I have a hard time understanding his perspective on a lot of it. I've asked him to be on my podcast. Um, it was a while ago. To no avail, which that's fine. He's he's a big deal, and I don't expect everyone I ask to be on my podcast to say yes, but I would love to have a conversation with him as someone that I respect in so many ways, but really disagree with on the topic of uh, social justice. Someone asks, how can we prepare for the worst case scenario Dems running everything? So if Democrats win the presidency, if they win back the Senate, if they take over or if they win a bunch of seats in state legislatures, I think that we are in major trouble. Um, And the reason is because of the things that they have promised to do if they gain power, pack the court. So that means expanding the court to 13 seats, filling in those four extra justices uh, with left-wing activists, as we've talked about before. And we'll talk about more on Friday with Ted Cruz. Um, What it looks like when when a Democrat nominates and confirms a judge or a justice The way that they see the Constitution, left-wing justices and judges, is this um, 
living document that can really be molded, that is, uh, can really be changed according to whatever the next progressive trend is. So they really make the Constitution, make the law say whatever they want it to according to the current progressive dogma. And so they can try to find a so-called right uh in between, you know, the uh, in between the lines of the Constitution, in order to make it say what they want it to say, and that is why Democrats are always pleased with the results or uh, with uh, with the results of uh, a Democratic nominated and confirmed judge or justice. They are always in agreement with them because left-leaning judges and justices always align with the latest Democratic dogma. Whereas conservative judges and justices, how they see the text is very different. So you've probably heard the term constitutionalist or textualist or originalist. And so they interpret the law according to how the law was originally intended and what the law actually says. And because we are looking at an objective source, the Constitution, the law, there is going to be a difference in opinion. So conservatives are very consistently disappointed by how uh, Republican-nominated or Republican-confirmed judges and justices rule because we disagree on the interpretation of the objective text that happens very often. And so what would happen if they packed the court, which Joe Biden refuses and Kamala Harris, they refuse to say whether or not they would do that. Democrats in Congress have promised that they would do that. Um, so that means that they that that they would. Obviously, the reason why Joe Biden isn't saying that is because he is trying very hard to get moderates. He's trying very hard to get Trump defectors. He's trying very hard to get people in the middle of the country. He knows that trying to expand the court is radical. Ruth Bader Ginsburg even said that that's a terrible idea. It was a terrible idea when FDR tried to do it. It's a terrible idea now. Um, So that's why he won't say that they are going to do that if they gain power, but they will. They'll fill in those four uh, left-wing justices, and it will not matter what the Constitution says. It will not matter. It will not matter what the First Amendment says about religious liberty. It will not matter what the First Amendment says about free speech. It will not matter what the Second Amendment says about your right to bear arms. They will interpret the law according to current democratic dogma to mean whatever the heck they want it to mean. So everything is on the line if Democrats take power and they decide to do that one thing that they have promised to do. School choice will be on the line. Homeschool will be on the line. Parental rights rights will be uh, on the line. Free speech will be on the line. Your your pastor's ability to to preach the things that he wants to preach will be on the line. Religious liberty in general will be on the line. Your right to own and carry a gun will be on the line. I mean, that is that is literally what's at stake. You're talking about constitutional rights, not just for this generation, but for generations to come. There's also a difference when we talk about rights, um, when the right talks about rights versus when the left talks about rights. So here's a really good example of that. You remember... Jack Phillips, he owned the the cake shop, the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. And a gay couple came to his cake shop and said, we want a wedding cake for our gay wedding. He said, look, I don't, I don't make gay wedding cakes. I'll make you another kind of cake. I'm happy to serve you, but I don't make gay wedding cakes here because I am a devout Christian and homosexuality and specifically gay, gay marriage is against my religion. And so it would be against my conscience to make that cake. Well, they attempted to ruin his life. That is what I believe they actually set out to do. They could have gone anywhere 
to go get a gay wedding cake, especially in Colorado. But they decided to try to ruin Jack Phillips's life because according to his conscience and according uh, to his religion, he decided that he was going to conduct his business in a way that he saw fit. The right would say, look, that's his First Amendment right. You don't you don't abandon your First Amendment rights when you start a company. You don't abandon your First Amendment rights when you decide to sell cakes. You have a First Amendment right to conduct your business as you see fit, as long as it is not infringing on the rights of other people. And the left would say, well, they have, that gay couple has a right to get their gay wedding cake wherever they want to. And we would say, no, 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 they, you don't. You don't have a right to buy a cake wherever you want it. You can go anywhere. You can go anywhere to buy that gay wedding cake. You do not have a right to force someone to provide you with a specific service that goes against their First Amendment right. And so the left and the right see rights differently. The right says, okay, our rights are recognized. Or they're, first of all, they're given by God, but they're recognized by the Constitution. Whereas the left is really talking about a lot of times privileges that they want to make rights. And they believe that those privileges should actually trump the constitutional rights that we have, like religious liberty. That's not everyone on the left, but that is leftism as an ideology. So that is what is at stake if they try to pack the court. Privileges become rights and they trump actual constitutional rights like religious liberty. Um, And so what do we do if all of that happens? If they decide they're going to abolish the Electoral College, if they decide that they're going to reconfigure the Senate, um, I mean, all of this is very difficult to do. They couldn't do it, you know. Uh, automatically and immediately, if they get rid of the filibuster, all of all of these are, are ways to circumvent the democratic process so they can have as much power as possible. And of course, they accuse Donald Trump of being an authoritarian, but we know it's true. I mean, this is what leftism does. Uh, leftism has always been in the way of tyranny and just gaining more and more power at the expense of the people that voted them in in the name of compassion. That is what leftism is. That's what leftism does. And that is what they will do. They are trying. They they do not care that most of the country doesn't want to abolish the Electoral College. They do They do not care if most of the country doesn't want to, um, you know, abolish the, the First and Second Amendments. That is why they want to expand the court, uh, because uh, we don't have to vote on who is a justice. Uh, they get to pack the court, and they can use the court as an extension of a legislative body to be able to ram through particular policies that they know people wouldn't actually go for if it was up for if it was up to us. So that is what the Democrats are going to try to do. Every constitutional right, everything that we hold dear will be on the line. Absolutely. Um, What do we do if all of that happens? Well, we continue to do what we're what we're doing now. I mean, we're going to wake up the day after the election, no matter who wins. And we're going to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And we're going to remember that the Lord is on his throne and that he is not surprised. He's not thrown off. He's not taken aback by anything that happens that governments are instituted by God. In the same way that Trump was instituted by God and Obama was instituted by God, the next president and the next Congress will be instituted by God. That doesn't mean that it pleases him, the things that they are the 
that they plan to do. Of course, he is not, um, when God institutes particular governments, that doesn't mean that he is endorsing a particular candidate, but in his sovereignty, he is doing whatever he is doing uh, for his own glory and according to his perfect plan of redemption. No matter who is in power, we know that Jesus is king. We know that he is coming back. He will once and for all defeat evil forever. Um, and so that is what we trust in. That is what we have our hope in. And we stay engaged. We we uh, keep talking about the things that we're doing or the things that they are doing, the people in power. We hold our governors, our state legislatures in power. Really, what's more important than anything is that, uh, not more important than anything, but just politically in a worldly sense, uh, that Republicans retain the Senate and that your state legislatures stay red. That is much more important than who becomes president. Of course, we're going to vote for Trump and and hope for the best there. But what is more important to your rights is that Republicans keep the Senate and that uh, they retain the state legislatures that they have. Uh, if those things are lost, it's going to be a tough go of it. But again, we trust in the Lord and we trust that ultimately things are going to be better than okay. We're not going to have sin or sadness or political division or persecution at all anymore one day. And so we still rejoice. And our joy in the midst of chaos, in the midst of fear, is the is our testimony to a hurting and to a chaotic world. Okay, let me take a quick break to tell you guys about Built Bar. So if you are looking for a good protein bar to just keep you full, that is healthy and that actually tastes good, then you need to try Built Bar. I am always looking for these kinds of things because I'm always in a hurry in the morning. I'm not like a huge breakfast person unless I have a lot of time. So I love just being able to, you know, grab something that's convenient. And Built Bar is exactly that. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but with none of the unhealthy stuff that comes in a candy bar. Uh, There are 18 amazing flavors. You've got nine chocolate nut flavors and you've got nine chocolate nut free flavors. Bars are 100% covered in chocolate. They are soft. They're easy to chew. They're also, uh, they're also super healthy. Built Bar is great for the health uh, conscious person. You can use these to lose weight if you're trying to or maintain weight if you're trying to or if you're just looking for, you know, an easy way to, uh, you know, fill yourself up no matter what your diet goals are. This is a really great option. They're low calorie, they're low sugar, they're high protein, they're high fiber. So everything that you're looking for in a protein bar to keep you full. So if you're looking, so for example, peanut butter is peanut butter. Anything is like my favorite flavor. I put peanut butter pretty much on everything except for savory things, but I love peanut butter. They've got a peanut butter brownie flavor that sounds amazing. It's got 20 grams of protein, only 170 calories, three grams of sugar, and three grams net carbs. Like that's just one example of an amazing tasting bar that is also super healthy and gives you everything you need to stay full. So go to builtbar.com. That is built, B-U-I-L-T, builtbar.com. Use promo code relatable. You'll get 20% off your first order. Use promo code relatable for 20% off your first order at builtbar.com. It excludes the Built Go $5 sample pack, just FYI. Uh, and uh, make sure that you go check that out, builtbar.com, promo code relatable. Um, I think that you'll really, really like these.
Okay, here is a little bit of a different question. Uh, What do you think about people eating organic, gluten-free, or dairy-free? Do I think it's worth it? Well, I am not a dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist by any means. And so, um, you know, I mean, some of this stuff, is it a marketing scam in some ways at some places? I'm sure that's true. We try to eat, I mean, when I'm grocery shopping anyway, we try to eat organic as much as possible. I can't say that everything that I eat at a Tex-Mex restaurant is organic, but, um, you know, we do our best when we're grocery shopping to do that. I think anything can become an idol. Um, And so certainly being obsessive over any kind of, uh, any kind, any type of food can certainly become idolatrous. But for a lot of people, I understand it's also for health reasons. Like if you're lactose intolerant, yeah, you got to eat dairy-free. And we should thank God that like we live in a country that you can do that really easily. I mean, thank the Lord for capitalism, that we are actually able to live in a country where if people, de- if enough people demand something like dairy-free sour cream or whatever it is, someone's going to make it because they want to make money. That is a good thing. And so, um, sure, yeah, it's fine. I don't really care how people eat. But of course, any kind of diet, any kind of restriction can become an idol. And certainly if it causes you to look down upon other people who eat differently than you, that's how I feel about veganism too. I don't think veganism is bad. I don't look down upon you if you eat vegan, but I do get upset when vegans look down upon other people who are not vegan. Um, I think that we have the freedom. We have the common grace freedom to eat the way that we want to eat. And it is such a privilege to even have those options. You know, the vast majority of the world, they don't have the option to eat gluten-free or dairy-free. But here in America, we have so many wonderful privileges because the Lord has blessed us, because of the system of capitalism that we actually get to pick and choose the kind of uh diet that we want. Um, When do I think that we'll actually know the results of the election? I think it's going to be several weeks. And that's just like, oh my gosh, you know, if you have ever, one time I ran a half marathon, I think it was 2013. Uh, Maybe, yeah, I think it was 2013. And um, you get to mile like seven and you're like, I've run a long way and I still have over six miles left. And that is at the point, I think it might've been at like 10 miles for me, maybe that I was like, okay, I'm actually really tired and thinking that I have a 5k left really just wears me out. That's kind of how I feel right now. Like I'm so ready for the election to be over. And then I realize it's not going to be over after the election. It's just going to keep going. And even after that, like, I still feel like the 2016 election is still being contended. Like we have just been in this constant, battle for the past few years. And I'm just worn out thinking about the fact that it is not going to be over when on on election night, I'm excited about watching election night, but it's going, if Trump wins, they are not going to concede. If Biden wins, I think that there is a much higher likelihood that Trump will concede, but I still think that there's going to be some back and forth after the election. So I think it's going to be 
several weeks and I am really not looking forward to it. So a lot of questions on how my family is doing. Uh, we're we're doing great. Uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing really well. Uh, my husband is about to turn 30 and he's about to run a marathon. So I was about to say y'all can wish him happy birthday, but he's not on social media, but y'all could be praying for him. He's running in a race uh, this weekend, right? Is it this weekend that he's running in a race? Yeah, I should probably know that. But um, so I'm really excited for him. I'm super proud of him. He's a very disciplined person, especially when it comes to to working out. He just decided a few months ago, like, yeah, I think I'm going to run a, a marathon. And so he just started going out and running every morning. I mean, he's always been an athletic guy. And so it's not like... I mean, it was a big feat for him, but maybe not as much as for other people. And uh, he is just stuck to it. I mean, running 16 miles or however long it is by yourself, that just takes a lot of determination that I probably don't have. So I'm super proud of him. Um, but yeah, we're doing well. We're ready for the the weather to cool down a little bit. Unfortunately, it is still 95 degrees where I am. Um, but thank you all for asking so much. Yes, my family... Uh, we are all doing very well. Um, someone said, can you be in a Bible study with Christians on the left? Yeah, certainly. I, I, I certainly think so. Now, you need to be discerning about who is leading your Bible study, I think, and who is actually teaching you and influencing you. Again, I don't think that means necessarily you have to get out of the Bible study, but you need to be very prepared and equipped before you go to Bible study. And uh, you need to be, you need to know your Bible and you need to have your resources that you are studying from. You can't just take everything that anyone says. I don't care if they're on the left or the right. You can't take what anyone says completely without uh, without checking it against scripture. And so I have a list of resources on my blog, alibestucky.com slash blog slash recommended dash resources. I'll put it in the description. And I have a lot of resources for you to learn from. So just make sure that that Bible study, no matter who is leading it, again, left, right, center, whoever, and whoever is in your Bible study, that that is a supplement to the time that you are spending in God's Word, that is a supplement to your prayer life, a supplement uh, to your study of the Bible, because anyone can lead you in the wrong direction, especially if you trust them, especially if they say some things that are true. It's so easy to be manipulated. But yes, I think it's great that you are, that you're there because you can push back against them. Uh, you can pray with them and for them. You can challenge one another. I think um, it's very good. Okay. Uh, do I think that civil disobedience is justified or moral? I actually did an episode on this and I will link it in the description. Um, but I did talk about this a few months ago where we talked about should Christians resist tyranny? And I think that that is the title of the episode, should Christians resist tyranny? So I covered that. And so I'll just let you go listen to that episode if you are interested, uh, if you are interested about it. Uh, in it, uh, to mask or not to mask. I, I've answered this question, but I'll ask it again. You know, I wear a mask everywhere that it's required of me. And there are places that I have to go, like to the grocery store, to Target, wherever that I, you know, that I have to wear a mask. And I do if I am, you know, very rarely am I on an airplane these days. But when I have to be on an airplane, I, of course, wear a mask. I'm not going to, you know, throw a fit about that. We did talk about last week, maybe it was last Wednesday, when we talked about the science on masks and we looked at several peer-reviewed studies about the efficacy of masks and how the so-called science has changed on that and how they only provide a very 
thin layer and only a possible layer of protection. And as Dr. Fauci said a few months ago, they can actually fill people with a false sense of, of confidence because you think that you are protecting yourself from people's sickness when really you're not. You are protecting other people possibly from a droplet of your asymptomatic COVID from going into their nose or mouth or eyes. I mean, I guess a mask doesn't protect your eyes, but it doesn't fully protect you. And if you're not also, you know, distancing yourself and washing your hands, then it's probably not going to do you that much good. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't know what else to do in places that require you to wear a mask. You got to you got to wear a mask. Hopefully it will be over soon. The WHO came out and said um, they don't think lockdowns are the best way to deal with the virus. Thanks so much for for letting us know this now. I'd be interested to see if at some point they'll say, oh, yeah. And by the way, we don't think masks are great either. So we'll see about that. Um Okay, how to know when to start a family. I get asked this question a lot. And I don't know your particular situation. I don't know if you are a missionary, if you are fully dedicated to mission work. I don't know if you're still in school or your financial situation. And so, of course, I can't speak objectively to exactly what you should do. That is going to take, you know, wisdom and counsel and discernment and prayer and all of that. But I argue this in my book. If you are a married couple and you are physically and mentally capable, uh, then you should have children. Now, is there some nuance in there probably? Are there some situations where that is not the best choice? Sure. Um, I have listened to John Piper talk about this very often, that, uh, of course, the Bible says that singleness is a gift because you can focus more on the Lord. You can dedicate all of your time and energy and effort to serving the Lord, and marriage inevitably is going to distract you from that. However, if... uh, if you cannot control your sexual desires and if you want to be married, then you should get married. That is what Paul says. Um, So if singleness is a gift because it can uh, give you more time and more margin to dedicate yourself to the Lord, then not having kids could be seen as that. But I think that it's very important that you are honest. Are you not having kids? Not necessarily the person asking this question, but anyone. Are you not having kids specifically, expressly to dedicate more time to mission work and to ministry? That might be a biblical justification, might be a biblical justification to put off having children. But I don't think the Bible gives us any room to not have children because we want to travel more, uh, because we just don't feel like it. We don't want that kind of sacrifice. We don't think that we're mature enough. We just like our time and our schedule the way that we want it. I say that as someone um, who, you know, we, I think it was three years before we started trying to uh, have a baby. And so I've been where you are just kind of thinking, well, you know, I want to, you know, I want to wait until we do X, Y, Z. But I simply don't think that the Bible gives that as a justification for not having children. Those are, and I mean this as someone who has been there. So I mean this in the most loving way possible. Those are selfish reasons to not have kids. I think it's wrong to put off marriage for strictly selfish reasons. I think it's wrong to put off kids um, for selfish reasons, because what that mentality says, at least implicitly, is that you view kids as burdens and that you view yourself as a potential victim 
of parenthood rather than a beneficiary uh, of parenthood and rather than seeing children as blessings. The Bible continually, consistently throughout the canon calls children blessings. A woman getting pregnant is a blessing. It is a good thing. It is a reason for rejoicing. And that is how we as Christians are to view children. And so I think we have to be really honest with ourselves about the reason that we're putting off kids. Again, I can't speak to your specific financial situation, where you're living, what life looks like for you. Um, But there are particular selfish reasons that I don't think the Bible offers as justifications for not having kids. Um, And I also don't think that fear of uh, fear of the future is a good reason to not have kids, at least not right now in America. I know a lot of people are afraid of persecution and rightfully so. A lot of people are scared about socialism, rightfully so. But you have to remember, again, God sees children as blessings. And if he chooses to bless you with children, I know a lot of people struggle with infertility. A lot of people have had miscarriages. And so um, it, and so I, there are a lot of people out there who desperately want to have kids, who wish that they just had the option to put off kids or have kids, but they have struggled a lot with that. And so just remember that when you are when you are either complaining about your children and, and, and what a burden they are, or you are talking about how you want to fulfill your self-centered wish list before you have kids, that there are a lot of people who are wish they who wish they were in your same place and could easily have children if they wanted to. But and back to the fear of the future, you also have to remember, yes, God is sovereign, but also he places every single person within the generation that he wants them to be in. And he places in front of every generation whatever challenges that he wants them to face. And he equips the Christians in that generation to face those obstacles exactly how he wants them to for his own glory. And so you have to think about also that children, that Christians, Christians are a credit to society, not a debit. And so we are giving good things to the future. We are giving good things to society by uh, giving the future Christian, biblical, loving, kind, strong, bold, gospel-sharing evangelists. And so think about having children like that, not as uh, not as something that is either going to take away from your life or is going to, uh, you know, add fear to your life because of future unknowns. The future has always been unknown. The future has always been unknown. And it shouldn't stop us from doing what we believe, you know, God has called us to do. So that's all I have time for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will be back here on Friday with Senator Ted Cruz. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court and court packing and all that good stuff. I will see you guys then. 